Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. But giving is hard. Do we put too much value on money or things? Are we simply afraid we'll have to do without? Or do we just not see how our giving can make a difference? Join us for a three-part series on living open-handed. Although money will be the theme, it is not a finance series. We've got those online if you want to go look at them. We're not going to talk about how to get out of debt. We're not talking about budgeting. We're not talking about all of the practical stuff. We're simply talking about where is our heart when it comes to looking at the things that God has given us. This is a heart and perspective series. It is called open-handed because this series is about becoming open-handed. It's about becoming open-handed. And I'm going to tell you this phrase right here. Because I have found this to be absolutely true in my life. It is easy to give what isn't yours. It's easy to give what isn't yours. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard a preacher joke right before the offering. Hey, everybody, I want you to take out your wallets and give like it's your neighbor's. Matter of fact, I I just want you to think about this. Today at the end of the service, we're going to do an offering. And I want you to imagine that everybody had to trade wallets before we did it. Do you think giving would go up or down? Of course it would go up, because you're not giving your stuff. You're giving somebody else's. You're like, oh, look at this guy. He's got a lot. How about his debit card? Hey, what's your pen, buddy? Let me write this on here. It's easy to give what isn't yours. I do this all day long. One of the greatest privileges of my job, you guys may not know this, but you've entrusted me with the ability to decide what we do with our missions fund. You see, even as a church, we tithe. So we set aside every Monday morning at least 10%. We tithe and then we give above it at least 10% of what God has given us. And we put it into various missions funds. Some of our are already designated. We know where they're going. Others are waiting for an opportunity. And so we will have people who come to us and say, hey, I feel like God has said we could do this in the city. That's a great idea. I don't know if you know this or not, but you have actually funded three church plants out of our spiritual family, one to Hawaii, one to Florida, and one to Colorado Springs. You're going to see a video in a couple of weeks from the testimony of one of them and what God is already doing there. We're a part of that because we take our missions money and invest it around the world. And, and I get to make those decisions. It is so much fun when someone comes to me and says, you know, we need to raise $100,000 to go and start this new church in this city, and here's why we're going to this city, and here's the people we're trying to reach, and, 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 and all of this cool, exciting things. And I get to say, oh, great, well, we'll just give this much towards it. And I have to tell you the truth, because it's not mine. First of all, I give way more. Because if I thought this was my mind, I mean, we're talking like it's not mine, the kind of if you spend this, you go to jail, Jimmy, don't get out of jail free, Jimmy, that kind of it's not yours to spend called embezzlement, front page, headlines, kind of stuff. because it's not mine, I can be incredibly generous. You see, if it were mine, I would think to myself, well, I could give that to you, but I could renovate my floors. I could like get a new car. No. See, when I can't think those things, when all I can think is what I don't give to you is going to wait to give to somebody else. I can be incredibly generous. I give like a millionaire. It is so much fun. If you've ever wanted to give like a millionaire, you just need to get a church, get a missions fund. You're like, oh, look at this. I can just give you. Trust me, I always make sure God's doing a good thing. And it is awesome to see the look on people's faces. Simple truth. It is easy to give what isn't yours. And so one of the foundational truths that we're going to learn in this series to learning how to become open-handed is to get a perspective where we realize that everything in your hand is not yours. 
That's the first thing. That's all we're going to talk about today. If we can get to a place where we realize everything in your hand is not yours anyway, it's easy to give what isn't yours. And so here's the truth. I could stand up here and give you the best sermon on serving. But until you realize your time isn't yours, that message will have little impact. I could stand up here and and, and give you the best message on spend time with God. But until you realize your time and your energy isn't yours, that message is going to have a little impact. And so one of the first things we've got to do in any area, not just your money, not just your time, not just your energy, but in anything that we want to see more of it be used for God, the first thing we've got to do is figure out whose does it belong to, whose is it in the first place. So I'm going to share with you one of the teachings that Jesus gave on this idea. Many times did he teach on this idea. It's called stewardship, recognizing that the stuff we have belongs to someone else. We are a steward of it. It's not ours. If you've got your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 19. If not, it's on the screen right behind my head here. So here's what Jesus said. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And and that's really confusing. Just hold on to that. He just gave two becauses, two reasons that he's teaching on stewardship, and neither of them mentioned Well, because they were just spending their money poorly. Well, because they're greedy. Well, because... Follow that for a second. Because he was near to Jerusalem. Because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He decided to teach on stewardship. Anybody confused yet? Hang on. So here's what he said. A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. One mina is about three months' wages. A mina is about three months' wages. So he gave each servant what would be equivalent to about three months' wages for them. And so why in the world is Jesus teaching on stewardship because he was near to Jerusalem? Because they thought the kingdom of God was at hand. Well, the answer is actually incredibly simple. What Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. We're going to Jerusalem not for me to like go in and throw everybody out and take over the, the castle. We're not going to Jerusalem where I'm going to set up a kingdom and your political candidate is going to win. This is not like a, a pro-Jesus rally. What he's actually saying is, you're totally confused. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. But don't worry, because I'll be back. That's the good news. Now, here's the news you may not be ready for. I'm going to go away, and I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm going to ask you what you've done with everything you had in the meantime. That'll mess with you, won't it? You see, we have this idea just like they did. Oh, well, here's Jesus. He's setting up a kingdom. Let's just live life and watch. And we're kind of the same way. Well, God's given us a nice life. Let's just show up on Sundays and watch, and then let's just enjoy life. We'll go to heaven someday. We have the exact same perspective that they had. They were living and waiting for Jesus to say, I'm in charge. We are living and waiting to go to heaven. And Jesus told them, stop living and waiting. What you need to understand is I want you to engage in business until I return. What business? 
advancing the kingdom of God. Engage in business until I come back. This is what I need you to do. I'm going to give you something. I will return, and I expect you to have more when I get back than you had when I left. It's not yours. We're not supposed to just be living and waiting. They were just living and waiting. We are just living and waiting. They expected Jesus to do something for them, which is to become a political king. We expect Jesus to do something for us, which is to make sure we're not sick. We don't have a cold. We don't have the flu. We don't have a fever to make sure that life is good. And and that's what we expect. But what Jesus told them is the same thing Jesus is telling us. How about I expect something from you? I'm going to give you something and come back later, and I want to know what you've done with it. But his citizens hated him, and they sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. This is such an easy parable to teach because there's not even a lot of secret meaning. Clearly talking about the Jews, right? They're saying, well, we wanted a Messiah, but we don't think you're it, so go away. And, And they didn't want him to reign over them, and they rejected him. Well, we kind of have a parallel question, which is, do we really want Jesus to reign over us? And if so, then when Jesus says, do this, do we do it? When Jesus says, stop this, do we stop it? When Jesus says, give this, do we give it? So when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money. The ones to whom he had given money. He called to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Now, I would venture to, to, to say the majority of these people in this room right now, many of you, know that you will give an account for what God has given you. If God gave you the ability to influence your friends, did you influence your friends for his glory? If God gave you some finances, did, did you use them for his glory? I think every one of us in here would already kind of assume and agree, oh, yeah, I, I expect someday to stand at the pearly gates of heaven. And Jesus look at you and go, okay, well, you know, tell me about your life. At some point, we all expect to answer for our lives, right? I mean, is that, hands with me. How many people expect we're going to answer for it? Good. Let me ask you this question. What if you drove home from church today and as you pull into the driveway, Jesus, you know, kind of like the bobblehead kind that sits on the dash of a car. He's got his hands like this. What if Jesus is standing right in front of your garage like, hey, how's church? Did y'all have fun today? Hey, I know you were thinking I would like ask you this in like 30 years. But I just decided I'd show up and ask today. Hey, would you mind giving me a tour of your house? I, I was just really curious. What have you done for me? How many of us would be embarrassed versus proud if today, no warning, you showed up here, you heard this message, you might wish you didn't hear But you show up at home, Jesus is already there. You didn't even have time to write a check anywhere else. You didn't even have time to go online and do anything. You just showed up, and Jesus is like, man, I gave you a lot of stuff. How old are you, 40? Got 40 years worth of stuff? All right, cool, show me around your house. Well, that that there is my 70-inch Ultra HD. Yeah. I mean, listen, that's cool. That's cool. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you should have a miserable life and not enjoy nice things. But what if we did have to answer for the amount of return? That's my only question. What if we had to answer right now? So the first came before him saying, Lord, your minna has made 10 minas more. That's 1,000% interest, which, of course, is totally incredible and somewhat 
unreasonable. And so that's why it's a parable, making the obvious visible. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your minna has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Now, if you were in Grace Life over the last six months or so, we recently did a series at the end of last year, not even six months ago, talking about heaven and hell. And and so we spent a lot of time talking about the reality of the fact that this life is the life before the life to come. And the way that we live our lives now will have an impact on the life to come. And and too often we think that it really kind of comes down to one thing. Are you in or are you out? Are you in or are you out? There are too many people who live their lives as though the only thing that matters is are you in or are you out? And I guess at the end of the day, that is the biggest issue, right? Are you in heaven or are you out? But it's not all the same for everybody who's in. We talked about how the fact that there are varying degrees of rewards in heaven and what our life is like for eternity and the life to come is actually determined by how good a steward we are in this life of what God has given us. And that's kind of scary if you think about it. My kids all the time, they have no clue what was going to happen until after the fact. I will ask the kids to come, hey, can y'all come help daddy in the yard? One of them was like, no, I want to play on my iPad. The other one's like, I'm playing with this or whatever. And one of them might say, sure. And then they come and help. And then when I'm done, I go in the house. Hey, everybody, I'm taking so-and-so to Target to get an icy. And the other two, what, what? I wanted an icy. Let me come help. No. Sorry, that's already decided. But I can go. Too bad. It's already decided. And it's not going to change. Wow. For eternity. This is a biblical principle. God rewards good stewards. You're never going to get away from this principle. God rewards good stewards. Then the third servant, another came saying, Lord, here is your minna, which I kept hidden, laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Well, why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? This is where some of us get into trouble because we think, is God really a severe, harsh man? Is this really what what God would do and say? And we say, of course not. That's not the nature of God at all. So therefore, this parable only sort of applies because God's not really the master. Okay, we need to correct a couple of understandings here, two major misunderstandings. Yeah, the parable is always a parable. But yes, this does fit perfectly with God because there are two things we need to understand. First of all, the word severe does not mean harsh. It does not mean unfair. If we go back to the original language in the Greek, what are we talking about here? We're simply talking about someone who has a standard and they stick to it. That's what the Greek means. They have a standard and they stick to it. And here's what we need to know about God if you don't know this. Yes, God loves Yes, God forgives, and yes, God is full of grace, but God has a standard and God sticks to it. That is the very reason that God didn't just say, oh, you sinned, don't worry, come on in. No, because he has a standard and he had to stick to it, so he said, look, we have a problem. They sinned, someone's got to pay. Jesus, you're up. 
Jesus had to die and shed his blood because God has a standard and has to stick to it. So why do we think if he's willing to enforce his standard upon the death of his son, why do we not think that he's going to enforce a standard upon how we've used that paper stuff that's in our wallets? Of course. So that is the master. The second thing, it seems like he's agreeing. You knew that I was this way? Did you notice that was a question mark? Is that still on the screen? Put that back up there. Put that, that what was that one? Uh, verse 22. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I sow. In other words, here's what he did. He said, you're going to be accountable based on what you think about me. Now, if you went to church and you heard Jimmy tell you correctly what there is to think about me, come on, y'all laugh with me. Then I'm going to hold you accountable to what is correct about me. But if you didn't go to church, you wicked servant, if you didn't have a clue, but you assumed this about me, I'm going to hold you accountable to what you assumed. If you assumed that I'm, I'm a harsh master, then why didn't you at least get some interest? If you assumed this about me, if you assumed I would not be happy with no return, then why in the world did you just walk up here and hand me this back? Now, let me tell you what the real issue is. We, just light bulb moment, everybody. Here's the real issue. What was this third servant after? I think many people miss this. Every time I've ever read the story, I miss this. It's only this past week that God showed me something about this third servant. He had one thing in mind. Self-preservation. You see that? Only thing on his mind. I am concerned. If I lose this minna, my life is in trouble He'll pay me back with harshness. He's a, he's a severe man. Oh, I am afraid of my master. I just need to take care of me. Self-preservation. Now, you may not be afraid of God, but we have the same problem. God says, here you go. And we say, well, thank you. I will take care of myself. I will pay my bills. I will buy things. I will take everything that you've given me and use it for self-preservation. And we all have a different standard of what is self-preservation. For some of us, it's a beach home and a home here and a home in the mountains. For others of us, it's just a nice home here. For others of us, it's a mediocre home with nice steak dinners. We all have a different definition of what it requires to preserve our lives. But we take what the master has given us and we put it into self-preservation. I have to be honest with you. There are days where I hate preaching. I love it, absolutely love preaching. But I hate the fact that every single thing I speak, God has to mess with my heart first. And I was looking forward to preaching this because I've preached on money a few times, which means God's already kind of beaten my soul up a few times. I've already kind of learned about my... I honestly thought I was done. I mean, my wife and I tithe. We tithe biblically. We've tithed for a long time. We absolutely believe in it. We tithe and always round up. I mean, we tithe on birthday presents. It's like, God, what could you do? We give to missionaries. We give to people. We try to be generous. And I'm like, I'm good, man. This is going to be an easy series to teach. I just wait to see what God's going to do with you guys. I was going to mess with y'all. It's going to be fun. I got this thing. And then God, oh, my gosh, I think I've had more pain. One of the things my wife and I have really wanted to do, we've lived in a house for five years. We wanted to renovate our kitchen. We've been praying God would give us money to renovate our kitchen, renovate our kitchen, renovate our kitchen. And I was preparing this, my, this message. God said, if I give you the money to renovate your kitchen, what are you going to do with it? And I said, renovate my kitchen. He said, exactly. Self-preservation. And I put it in my journal. I started to realize. I go flipping back in my journal. I cannot find in my journal 
an example of me saying, God, will you give me money so I can give it to so-and-so? Oh, my gosh. I couldn't find one. I couldn't find one time where I had written down, God, give me this so I can give it to that person. There wasn't one time where I heard about a family who needed something, and I couldn't give it, so I went and prayed, God, would you give it to me so I can give it away? Never once have I prayed, God, would you give it to me so I can be a good steward of it? Every one of my prayers for God to give me something is so that I can have it. Ouch. I don't know about you. And he said to those who stood by, take the minna from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And their reaction is exactly what yours probably just was. And they said to him, Lord, he already has ten minas. Jesus said, I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. <gasps> Have you ever heard the phrase, the rich get richer and the poor get poor? Now look, we live in a fallen world, surrounded by sinners, non-believers, with a very corrupt world system, a very corrupt economic system, one that is focused on the kingdom of darkness. So I'm not going to dare stand here today and tell you that every rich person is God uh, giving them more, and every poor person is God taking it. I, I'm not going to tell you that. But what I am going to tell you is that all too often, we just blame the system. We just point fingers at the man. I make minimum wage, and the CEO makes $36 million a year. Well, the rich get richer, and the poor get poorer. It's not my fault that I'm broke. It's not my fault that I'm where I am. Well, let's just do this. First of all, let's all agree together the system around us is broken. Can everybody agree to that? Okay, number two, stop looking at the system and look at yourself. Because here's what I will promise you. Jesus says, take the one and give it to that one. Y'all follow why he did this? I want you to imagine you have three investment accounts. Let's say that you have an inheritance. Someone in your family gives you a large sum of money and you say, I need to invest this money. But you've seen a bunch of different commercials You've seen like the Prudential commercial and you've seen like the Voya purple, no, orange, orange squirrel commercial, whatever it is. You've seen these different commercials. I don't really know which one I should put my money in. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to divide it up equally into three parts. I'm going to give one to each investment company. In a year, I'm going to find out where they are. In a year, you go and, and visit with this investment banker. How is my account? It has grown by 1,000%. That was the first servant, by the way. Did you know that? That was 1,000% return. You go to your second investment company and you say, how is my account? And they say, it's incredible. It has grown by 500%. That was the second servant. And you go, oh my gosh. And you go down the street to the third one and you say, how is my account? And they say, it is just like you left it. It has 0% return. It turns out Jesus may not be as crazy as you think he is. Ask me or tell me, what would you do? Are you going to give more money to that third firm? No. Matter of fact, are you even going to leave the money that is currently there? Heck no. Now, are you going to give it to the one that earned 500% or the one that earned 1,000%? So here is kind of the point. Yes, the system is broken. Yes, the world around you is corrupt. Yes, there are people who have money and, and, and are destroying what they could do with that. And yes, they will answer for that. We only need to answer for us. If you find yourself feeling like the poor getting poor, I want to ask you this question. 
everything that God gives you, is self-preservation your issue? Because the poorer you get, the more you focus on self-preservation, the less the rate of return, the more that God's going to give it to someone else. Here's what I promise you as a biblical steward. If you have a rate of return engaging in the business of the kingdom, God will increase what you have. It's biblical. If the poor is getting poor, and I'm talking about you and me, then you and I need to look in the mirror and say, God, why are you not increasing what I have? We must be the third servant who is engaged in self-preservation. Here's the truth. It's easy to give what isn't yours. You guys agree with that? It's easy to give what isn't yours. Now, at this point, what I really need to do before I can say I'm done is make sure everybody understands it's not yours. There's a good chance that some of you are still here right now thinking, that would be great, except I worked really hard. I went to school and did my homework while the other people didn't. I went to a very hard program and got a very difficult degree, and I have a very stressful job. It's mine. I've earned it. Well, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. If you can pay that price, then you are your own. Can anybody here pay that price? Well, then if your life isn't yours, if your time isn't yours, if your energy isn't yours, I'm guessing our money isn't ours either. You see, one of the problems that we have, we're in the Bible Belt. Way too many of us grew up going to church and in a church context. And so honestly, we don't know the cost of our sin. Every now and then you hear those stories of someone like, man, I was living this lifestyle and I was doing this and I came to know Jesus and oh my gosh, all he wants from me is this. Oh, he can have it. But way too many of us, when we become a believer, there's not a dramatic change to our lifestyle. There's not a big shift because we grew up in a godly home and we grew up in a Christian environment. We were already reading the Bible. We were familiar with Bible stories. And that is a good thing, but the flip side is we don't know the cost of our sin. We don't know the cost that was paid to redeem us. And so when we read a Bible verse that says, you're not your own, you were bought with a price, we're like, yeah, 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 move on next page. You really need to think about, can you pay the price to redeem you from eternal punishment in hell? And the answer, of course, is no. And so here's the deal. How many of you have ever seen a movie? I guarantee you have if you've watched a movie. You've seen a movie with a life debt. Someone says, this guy saved my life, so now I'm kind of his servant. Did y'all know Chewbacca in Star Wars was a life debt? Seriously. That's why he went anywhere and did whatever Harrison Ford said. And that really should be our approach to Jesus. If this 
This is what you want. Because I could not have saved myself. You saved my life. See, here's the thing. Because everything belongs to God, our time, our energy, and then money because it has so much value to us. I believe these two things. Number one, well, God uses money to test these two things. Number one is this. He uses it to test whether or not we believe we're stewards or owners. Is what you have yours or is it God's? And I do want to point out the third servant. Did y'all catch the third servant? God says, you wicked servant. He came and he gave back the minna that was given to him. He didn't spend it. Even the one who got rebuked and lost everything that he had at least recognized he was a steward. He didn't go buy donuts with the minna. He didn't say, oh, I thought it was mine. No. Even he knew this is not mine. I will answer for it. And the second thing is whether or not we are good stewards. Whether or not we are good stewards. Once we understand that God owns it all, it is going to be so easy to give when he asks, hey, would you give toward that? Yeah, sure, because it's not mine. Hey, can you give to Well, of course, it's your wallet. I'm just holding it. As soon as we figure this out, when we think about giving, all too often we ask, how much? Uh, have you ever had your spouse come home and say, hey, honey, I think we should do this? And your first thought is, well, how much is in the bank? Come on, anybody with me? That's our first thought, right? I'm going to leave you today with an aha moment. It's not about how much is in the bank. It's whose money is in the bank. It's not how much money is in the bank. It's whose money is in the bank. And if that touches you today, your life will radically change from this point forward. When the next time that you have this idea, I should give to someone, I should give to that cause, I should honor God, you'll never ask again, can I afford it? Those It's not yours. It's not how much is in the bank. It's whose money is in the bank. So here's what I'm going to ask of all of us over the next three weeks as we learn how to become open-handed people is I'm going to ask you, will you let God begin to touch your heart about whose money it is, whose time it is, whose energy it is? When God says, hey, watch one last TV show and go to bed so you can get up and spend time with me. And you say, but I don't want to. I want to stay up and watch TV with my time. And you have to go, yeah, it's not my time. Because I can't pay that price. It's your time. And if that's what you say, that's what I'll do. Will you let God to work to make you open-handed? Will you let God do this? your soul over the next three weeks it's easy to give what isn't yours for those of you that maybe for the first time today heard that part about you were bought with a price you see here's the thing not everybody will go to heaven and not everybody who went to church will go to heaven the only people who will go to heaven are the people who have recognized Jesus died for them Jesus paid a debt Jesus purchased them with a price And that is received at some point in time. It's almost like a layaway system. Jesus goes in and he paid for it when he died on the cross. But every single one of us, before we die on this earth, has to go in and say, hey, 
I recognize Jesus died for me. Now I want to live for him. I need to make an exchange here. I've got a ticket. I need to get what Jesus left for me. 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid the price. Today, someone in this room needs to receive that and to recognize Jesus died on the cross to pay a price you never could. You can never be good enough to pay for the unholiness in your life. That's why Jesus did. That's the good news. You can be completely forgiven by simply saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that here this morning. You don't have to stand up or do anything weird. You don't have to come down to the front. We're all going to pray right where we are. I just want to lead you in a conversation, helping you talk to God. Would you all join me? Pray something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. I thank you that you have given me a wonderful life to engage in business for your kingdom. So my simple prayer in this place today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.